Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird show. It's going to be one of those crazy shows. We've, we've watched the race, but we haven't talked about last week's race because we're back-to-back. And really, there's stuff we need to talk about from last week's race before we can even talk about this week's race. And we have a week, week off coming up, so yes. we'll postpone China reaction until well, next Well, most week. of the China reaction. There's, going, there's a little, I'm sure. We'll postpone as much as we possibly can so that we can finish up and tie up loose ends from Bahrain. So for starters, because I know Patricia needs to hear this, for starters, let's uh, have a quick recap of the results of the Fantasy GP coming out of Race 2 in Bahrain. A double DNF by Red Bull Racing in Race 2 shook things up in the Bloke and a Bird Show Fantasy League. After Bahrain, Patricia's Bird team won the week with 151 points. Phil's team Rocket was second with 129 points. Agro's Puppet Racing team was third with 115 points. Michael's Mach 5 Racing had 113 points on the week, followed by the boys' Moonlit Black Cats team with 112 points and Richard's Fly Fast team with just 80 points. In the overall league standings, Patricia's The Bird team moves into the lead with 283 total points. Agro's Puppet Racing joined the league this week and ended up in second with a total of 271 points. Michael's Mach 5 Racing team slid back to third with 267 points. Phil's Team Rocket is in fourth at 257 points. The boys' Moonlit Black Cats team is fifth with 217 points. And Richard's Fly Fast team is currently in sixth with 150 points. Even though you've missed two races now, you can still join in by going to fantasygp.com and entering the league code 148-31491. So yeah, there's the good news. There's the good news for you, is that you were in the lead. Yes. Now, this week, again, like I said, we got to talk a little bit about China. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can just step back for a minute. You can give me a whole show, and then you can tell everybody at the end of this show. You can hold your water for a whole hour. There, there's more movement, and, and we'll we'll do the full recap of results next week. But again, coming out of China, we had movement in the league yet again. We did. But for right now, ending in Bahrain, my team was in number one. I get a week to enjoy it. It's only fair. Now, those of you who watched the U.S. coverage of... Bahrain were probably pleasantly sur- I would hope you were pleasantly surprised at the fact that ESPN elected to air the race without any commercial interruptions. It was sponsored exclusively by Mothers and I'll give the call out to Mothers because I think they deserve it for this. We're stepping up and making sure that you got uninterrupted coverage of the race. Well the good news is that ESPN has elected to continue that practice for the remainder of the season. Which I think is critical because I really and truly think that some executive at ESPN sat down and said, which is going to be the path of least resistance to go uninterrupted so that we can match the coverage that Sky is doing. We just accept their feed. We don't try to have to, we don't have to do anything to tweak it. Or we have to figure out a way to insert commercials into a non-commercial broadcast. Yeah. 
And they proved in Australia that not only did that not work, it didn't work big. So I, I have to give them credit for taking the path of, truly, the, it was the path of least resistance. But we watched this, the China coverage today, the U.S. Mm-hmm. version of the China coverage, and I got to tell you, it was really nice to not see those commercials. I, I miss the pre-show. I miss all the buildup. But it was very nice to be able to see the race without well, admittedly, we we rushed it a little bit. We we wanted to find out what happened because you had already spoiled everything. Mm. I um, didn't spoil <laughs> it. I happened to follow Fantasy GP on Facebook, and Fantasy GP spoiled it. Okay, but as a result, because normally, even when something like that happens, since we were trying to rush to get it in before we recorded, we didn't watch the pre race buildup. Otherwise, normally we would have done that anyway. Um, Granted, it's only the 30 minutes of the hour and a half that Sky Sports actually offers their Sky subscribers. The other thing that I'll point out, because last week we, we didn't watch the ESPN coverage, we watched Channel 4's coverage, is that while Channel 4, the way we watch it, if you watch it live, they're not injecting commercials into the middle of the, of the race. <clears throat> but if you watch it the way we watch it, which is time shift streaming off the internet, um, still from Channel 4, they do insert commercials in the race, but they pause the race for their commercial breaks. Right, because that's an app. Ba- the app inserts yeah. the commercials in, so they basically pause the show that you are watching. Mm-hmm. You get a block of commercials, and then you restart, which would have been the only other option ESPN could have done, except... If you're carrying it live, that doesn't work. You can't do it live. Because your dual screen experience would have been awful. The other bit of good news for U.S. viewers and, what is it, 40 other countries as well, is that the F1 TV Pro app, we've got an update on that. Um, we still don't have an exact date for the launch, but F1 is telling us that they anticipate it going live in time for the Spanish Grand Prix. So that should be within the next three weeks. Nice. Nice. Because the next race <clears throat> after this week was, is going to be Azerbaijan. Yes, we're going about In 11 days. Yes. And then we get to start the European season. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, all the teams are going to start talking about major upgrades. Well, the, there, there's and already the we talk that there's that. Ferrari fall apart. You know, they didn't last year. No, to be clear, they didn't last mid-season year. Mid-season break is when Ferrari fell apart. Yeah, Ferrari they has got it. to have a spot where they start falling apart. Just you're hoping. Saying. You're I hoping. hoping. I, I, I think actually, though, from what we've seen so far, possibly betting against Ferrari in your predictions in Fantasy GP might not necessarily be the right answer. Possibly. <clears throat> possibly. So, Bahrain, if you'll recall, and we mentioned this briefly, in qualifying, Max Verstappen had a fairly dramatic spin-out crash um, that took him out of qualifying. Yes. Well, there's been some further investigation. The initial thought that, that, that Red Bull had told us was that he had had a— that Max had experienced a 150-horsepower power surge that caused the rear wheel to break away and spin him into the wall. Well, there was a 
deeper investigation of the situation. Not the least of which is because folks like Nico Hulkenberg, who also drives a Renault engine, was like, really? He, <laughs> he got a sudden hit of 150 horsepower. Why am I not getting any hits of an extra 150 horsepower, let alone his sudden hit of 150 horsepower? Now, he actually used some more colorful language than that, but we're still a family show, so we are not expressing his language. But he questioned the determination. <laughs> Politely raised an <clears throat> objection is what you're trying to say? So um, follow-up this weekend, Christian Horner, uh, he was speaking to Autosport, and he said um, – the situation was actually not a stuck throttle. He said, I think when he got high on the curb, there was an oscillation on the foot. It was fairly obvious. Oh, he mashed his foot down. There you go. <laughs> oscillation on my foot, my bottom. Yes. <laughs> as they said, it was an oscillation of the right foot. The gear shift around there has always been a bit lumpy, and I think it was a combination of that pushing flat out up on the curb oscillation with the foot. Put a lot of stuff together, that's what happens. There's nothing to read into it. <laughs> so, Nico, the reason you don't have sudden 150 uh, horsepower dumping into your wheels <clears throat> is because you're not oscillating your foot. Now, Renault, harder. <laughs> now, Renault's response to this, direct from Cyril Abitpool, the engine has done exactly what the throttle was asking. It was very clear. It's a determinist thing, causing consequences. When you press on the throttle, something is happening to the engine. The engine has reacted in exactly the same way that it was supposed to react. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we say in um, the design and uh, computing world as it is operating as designed pretty much so you may have caught this you may have missed this i don't know it was a little confusing even when it happened but both sergio perez and brendan hartley got penalties for overtaking during the formation lap of the race. I heard something about this, and I didn't understand how they could have overtaken in the formation. Well, it wasn't even so much that they got penalties for overtaking, but they both got penalties for the same incident where one overtook the other. So one was penalized for overtaking the other one, and one was penalized for letting someone overtake them? That's the best we can figure out. So what happened here? <laughs> is um, Sergio overtook Hartley on the formation lap after Hartley was slow away from the grid, and he did not allow Hartley to recover position. While Hartley failed to follow a procedure that dictates drivers who do not recover position before the first safety car line must start from the pit lane. So under the sporting rules, drivers slow away on the formation lap can reclaim position provided they don't drop all the way to the back of the field. After reviewing video evidence and hearing from Perez, Hartley, and their respective teams, the stewards elected to add 30 seconds to the race time of both drivers in lieu of a 10-second stop-go penalty. So the official statement that came from the stewards said, Car 11, which was 
Perez overtook car 28, Hartley, before turn one and then, during the remainder of the formation lap, made no noticeable effort to allow car 28 to regain his position. The driver of car 11 also admitted the driver of car 28 was not unduly delayed when leaving the grid to start the formation lap. In this case, the stewards decided to not award penalty points as the penalty is sufficient. Car 28 was overtaken by car 11 during the formation lap, failed to reestablish his position before the first safety car line, and then did not re-enter the pits as required under Article 38.3. So Hartley, as a result of this, did get penalty points. Um, so he's got four now in the last uh, 12 months. Um, Charlie Whiting suggested that this may have been uh, because Hartley was unsure of the correct procedure to follow. He said, I haven't heard what Perez and Hartley have had to say yet, but Hartley didn't actually know what he had to do. On the one hand, yes, Perez did overtake, but that's fairly normal because not all cars leave the grid in the order of the grid. The rule is written primarily for cars last away from the grid, but he can make his way back through the field as long as he's got back to his original position, like Kvyat in Canada last year. As long as he's done that, he can start from the grid. If not, he has to start from the pits. Hartley didn't stop from the pits, but he also didn't actually try and get back into position. This is the slightly odd thing. Okay. So it was less about one overtook the other and the other one got a penalty because he allowed somebody to overtake them. It's actually two different pieces. Yeah. One in that Perez overtook Hartley when Hartley was slow to leave, but then did not make an effort to allow him to, to pass. But it also sounds like Hartley wasn't trying to pass, so... That was that's a little bit gray, but though I think the Hartley side of that penalty is specifically around not going into the pits and starting from the pits like he should have, so being unaware of the rules. Well, there was a bunch of different things going on here because Perez actually went to the marshals before China and said, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. What What is going on here? He said, on the formation, basically off the line, I overtook him, but then he didn't retake back the position. He didn't realize that I overtook him. He thought I was always in front of him. I've been overtaken many times. I overtake many times, but always the car behind retakes his position. Hartley didn't do it, and we both got the penalty. Um, he went on to say, when we went to the stewards, he just told them, listen, I didn't realize Checo should be in front of me. Now figure that one out. So Hartley didn't realize that Perez wasn't starting the race ahead of him. That's what he says. Okay. How is it as a driver, you don't know who's supposed to be in front of you? <laughs> okay. Maybe Hartley's not very bright. Maybe he's focused on his own race. Perez said, I was surprised that I got the penalty. You can see on my video that I really slowed down a couple times to make him pass, but I thought he had a problem. He tried to give Hartley the opportunity, but because Hartley, because Hartley didn't know that actually he was supposed to be in front. Again, how Hartley doesn't know that he's supposed to be in front of Perez, I don't know. Well, okay, but I got to say this. How did Toro Rosso not radio Hartley and go, dude, get back in front of Perez? 
maybe because they thought he was dropping. Again, remember, or he's do got you until, have a problem? Why are you not in front of Perez? He's got until the safety car line to get ahead of him. So by the time they realized that Hartley was screwing up and, and wasn't just hanging back and was going to jump ahead, it was too late. Even still, you talk to somebody. <clears throat> do you have a problem that you're not passing Perez to get back in your spot? You ask that by the third corner. I mean, come on. That's not, that's, you know, just to be clear, you need to be ahead of, of Perez by the safety car line. Harley's still new at this game. Why is his team not helping him out with that? And the other piece of this is naturally, Charlie Whiting said that he saw no noticeable opportunity that Perez gave for Hartley to pass. Well, so, no, he said that that he didn't see Hartley or he didn't see Perez delaying Hartley. No, I I thought it was no noticeable. Uh, like it wasn't that he did. We was truly impeding Hartley's pass. Like Hartley tried to pass and Perez impeded it, but that he didn't give. He wasn't giving way either. The driver of car 11 also admitted the driver of car 28, 11 being Perez, was not unduly delayed when leaving the grid to start the formation lap. That, that's, the, that's what the statement says uh, from the FIA. Okay, but Charlie said something about he saw no attempt by Perez No, to he allow- says Hartley didn't start from the pits, but he also didn't actually try and get back into position. That is the slightly odd thing. He, does, he says nothing about what, what he says here. Again, I'll reread his statement. On the one hand, yes, Perez did overtake, but that's fairly normal because not all, leave, uh, not all cars leave the grid in the order of the grid. The rule is written primarily for cars last away from the grid, but he can make his way back through the field as long as he's got back to his original position. Hartley didn't start from the pits, but he also didn't actually try and get back into position. This is the slightly odd thing. So he's not saying Perez didn't give him the opportunity. He says Hartley didn't try to get back. I thought somewhere in that long thing that you read off, somebody had said that Perez made no noticeable attempt to allow Hartley in front. No, it said that he was... That, that Perez said he was not unduly delayed when leaving and that car 28 was overtaken by 11 during the formation lap, failed to reestablish his position before the first safety car lines, and then did not enter the pits. Okay. So. You good? Or are you as confused as everybody else over this whole thing? No, I completely understand it. I just am convinced that I heard something that is I will hear again when I listen to this later and then point and yell at you because you argued with me. So Okay. Okay. Well, moving on. Because you because you don't want to let go of this. Moving on. So there was a incident yeah it was definitely an incident between lewis and max verstappen max who's been getting a bit of heat lately well it it, because of his um well as martin brunnell put it this week um his lack of caution that he seems to be exhibiting yes he is a very aggressive he, he has always been an aggressive driver and that's why folks like him but 
this year it seems like he doesn't maybe maybe I think the better way to put it is that in previous years when he has been as aggressive as he has luck has been on his side and he's been able to pull off moves that everybody else has looked at and gone wow that was just stunning this year he's probably being about as aggressive and pushing just as hard but he's not quite being as lucky well i think i think that you're right on the the sort of the <clears throat> luck side of it but i also think that he is aggressive in places where i think previous years he wasn't quite as aggressive he's always been an aggressive driver don't misunderstand me but i think it was a much more calculated aggression um in previous years i think we've hit a note of desperation i i don't know if we're there yet i i i think what this is more is along the lines of bulletproof and that i have gotten away with this kind of stuff before and now I'm not necessarily getting away with because he's always been known for pushing his luck and pushing passes and moves in areas that everyone goes, nobody does that. Nobody well, tries that. Yes. And, I mean, I've always said that Max is a big risk taker. He'll, he'll try, attempt mm -hmm. to pass where nobody else would attempt to pass. He will He will break later and all of those things to make sure that he is not just quite aggressive, but he's pretty pushy on the track. Um, and in the the pundits will say that he's pushy like Lewis was has been pushy, pushy like uh, Schumacher has been pushy, mm -hmm. pushy like Vettel's been pushy. I mean, those are. I mean, he's getting compared to grades, but what I'm seeing is there was a finesse to that pushy that's in, been in previous years. Um, like he's just had an uncanny knowledge of how far he could go. And he seems to be going a beat further this year than he has gone in previous years. And that was always what made Lewis and what makes Lewis so great is Lewis can get downright aggressive, but he knows that exact moment where you got to pull it up or you got to, you got to oscillate that right pedal <laughs> to really put the hammer down to complete the maneuver either max is pulling up short in the wrong spot or he's pushing in the wrong spot but he is his timing is off on this aggressive maneuvers um and i mean he had no reason to have to tangle with lewis when he tangled the way he tangled with lewis in bahrain just that was well, uncalled for see i don't even know about that because again there was a lot of talk that if the tables were turned and that was Lewis with Max or any other driver, Lewis probably would have done the same thing. And he has done the same thing. Um, and yes, sometimes you get lucky and you pull it off and you walk away with no damage. And other times you have what happened last week where you end up with a puncture at the very start of the lap and then you have to run it all the way through with this puncture and in the process because you've had to run in this oddball configuration you damage other parts of the car if that incident had happened much later in a lap he probably would have continued the race I, I, I go both ways with this you know I, I think but I think overall for him it's been really luck more than anything else that is just not working for him. I think his timing's off. So there was questions about 
penalties and where, you know, should somebody assign anything for this? Was this a racing? Ultimately, the stewards decided it was a racing incident. Now, Lewis post-race. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead to the pen before I go back a little bit. In the pen, Lewis questioned Max's maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, um, these kinds of maneuvers I, don't, maneuvers, I don't know if they're inexperienced or not totally mature decisions. They are not getting the results they should. He should have finished a decent race because he's good enough. I think to myself, if Fernando was in that car, he would have finished a decent race and got points for Red Bull. I like to think if I was in that car, I would have got points. I hope for them he's learning through whatever situation he's going through. I went through that stuff when I was a young guy. It's easy to get ahead of yourself and forget the respect for other guys you're racing with. I'm grateful that my car was still okay because I had no intentions of touching anyone else. I was super cautious in the first lap. In that moment, I'm like, that could have been a big, big blow in a championship. Fortunately, it wasn't. There's something really notable in that. So just hang on a second. Do you hear that when I was a young guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, Lewis really does have some level of respect for Verstappen because I think he sees young Lewis in Verstappen. Yeah, and, and it's it, it's clear that Max is a very good driver and one of the better drivers on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no question that whether or not he belongs in that seat. Yeah. It's not just because daddy is Josh Verstappen. True. Or paying lots of money and buying the team a simulator and... You're still bitter over Stroll, aren't you? Gonna be until he's gone. <laughs> Till he is gone. Yeah. Stroll could become a world champion and you will still be He's bitter. not gonna become a world champion. I understand that, but he could be and you would still be bitter. No, I would probably back off if he started winning races on a regular basis out of merit. Then I probably will back off. But he's not there, and he won't be there. All right, so back to Verstappen. So we did, it, it did get broadcast, um, but there was an exchange post-race when Lewis finally got to see um, the incident. Yes. And Lewis's reaction to it. Um, he didn't say some kind words. But post-race in the press conference, so before this incident that occurred here that we just talked mm. about in the, uh, in the pen, in the press conference, Lewis was questioned about so his reaction. The order of things that happened, the race finished, Lewis got to see the incident He saw the incident from the outside Mm -hmm. and made his comment, went to the press conference. So kind of got to understand. Podium and then then press conference. Podium, then press conference, then pen. Right. So understand. And that's kind of critical in this whole outline of things. But you're going to play it, right? Yeah. Well, um, we we don't have the audio in the driver's room post-race. We have audio from the press conference. Okay. So let's play that audio. I believe, if, I'm, if my ears are correct, you used the word head after the race concerning Max Verstappen and the overtake and the contact. Is that correct? Can I, can I answer that question? Yeah. You know, we've all been in that situation. We fight someone and we, you know, we go sometimes wheel to wheel and it's close and, you know, you have a lot of adrenaline going. 
Do you think, comparing to football, if you have a microphone on a football player's mouth, that everything he says is something nice and is a nice message when the guy tackles him and maybe sometimes he fouls him or not? So I don't think it's justified to give us this kind of questions and making up a story out of nothing. If we're just racing and we're full of adrenaline, and sometimes, you know, we say these things. I mean, if I hit you in your face, you're not going to tell me, oh, Sebastian, that wasn't nice. You know, it's a human reaction. And sometimes I feel it's all a bit blown up and artificial if we have these questions trying to make a story out of nothing. Defensive, thy name is Vettel. <laughs> well, d d there's a whole bunch of things here that I've got with oh, this. There's, there's a ton to, to talk through. Um, f first, to be, to be clear, if, if you couldn't tell, that even though the question was directed at Lewis Hamilton, Lewis didn't answer. No. Sebastian Vettel answered. Um, overall, in general, at the surface, I kind of agree with what Seb has to say. Just the fact that, that Lewis reacted and reacted in the moment. Yes, it was adrenaline and it was a human reaction. I also don't necessarily think that in terms of how Lewis reacted, it was really all that out of line. He was expressing an opinion about something that he didn't necessarily agree with. And even without this reporter asking this, his question the way he did ask it, this would be a talking point over the fact that Lewis expressed that he was upset with how Max behaved in a race. Again, going back to the comments that we just talked about from the pen, yes, he expressed it very differently, but he still expressed his displeasure with how Max, Max drove during the race. I don't have a problem with that. We like these reactions. We want this reaction. We want to hear this kind of stuff. However, one, it's interesting to hear this come from uh, Sebastian Vettel. Mr. Explode pretty viciously on the radio in all kinds of different directions. And I think there's a difference between Lewis's reaction, which was... Honestly, when we heard it today as part of the pre-race coverage or the pre-roll coverage, I guess is the best way to put it, it was in that little 10-minute gap before the race started, um, it was fairly tame. I mean, yes, he used the word. He didn't say, oh, Max is awesome. But it wasn't like he was screaming and yelling and throwing his helmet around and some not of, a temper tantrum by any stretch of the imagination. It, it was nowhere close to an angry Seb temper tantrum, which is the other reason why I don't think that this was all that big a deal. But the other thing that I've got to wonder about what Seb said and, and, and how he said it is whether or not Seb realized where that comment occurred. Because it there's really, a lot of com I, there's a lot <clears throat> of theories that he thinks that it was said during the race. Right during the race over the radio it is my suspicion as to where Seb thought this came from. And I that mean, that being said, even in in the cool down room, there's still a lot of adrenaline. We've seen that before. It can still get heated in there. I don't think that this was heated. Well, one, I don't even think it was heated. But two, it would explain the football comment. Um, yeah. About there's adrenaline. If they had mic, if they mic footballers, do you think everything that they would say is all nice? Okay, here's the reality. Mm -hmm. 
let's just kind of boil this down. We have a reporter that's looking to make a big deal, a mountain out of a molehill. Yes. Truthfully. There is no doubt he is trying to make he's trying to make a rivalry that doesn't actually really exist. I think he was trying to spark an angry reaction I think, by, by by the way he phrased that question. I think that's exactly what he was trying to do. Um but the reality was I didn't see Lewis's actual comment, name calling aside, because I mean, quite frankly, well, it, seriously, it was just basic name calling. I, I don't remember whether it was in the the pre race coverage in those last ten minutes, or we saw it yesterday because we watched qualifying on Channel Four, and it may have been in Channel Four's uh, pre race bit at the start of their coverage. Um, but but I did see it then. We didn't share it because there was all kinds of music and other stuff. You couldn't hear it clearly if you weren't watching for it. But they did air it then. Okay. But again, what I was saying was basic name calling. I don't see this any different than whoever it was that called Roman Grosjean in 2012 a first lap uh, nutcase. That'd be Mark Webber. Um, I don't see this any different than saying, you know, whoever is unsafe on the track mm -hmm. or this person has no respect for his fellow drivers. It's literally the statement is no different. Okay. Yeah. So yes, it's a slightly coarse word and on the scale and continuum of cuss words, I don't even think that would get bleeped in American television. I mean, I just don't it, like maybe after nine o'clock it wouldn't get bleeped. <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, it's not, it was. It, it's one that we wouldn't bat an eye if our own kid used. So Th this is not the Sebastian Vettel telling off Charlie Whiting at the end of Mexico for thirty plus seconds, right? Or the five separate f bombs that uh, Sebastian has vented off during something going on. Mm -hmm. um, that literally, when we replayed it, it was beep 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 beep. I mean, come on. In the grand scheme of things, and that's why I think that my issue is really around this reporter trying to either spawn a negative reaction and create a story where there isn't one, which is what I think Sebastian was actually trying to yes. very eloquently put this reporter in his place, is that is, un it's basically, it's an uncalled for question. And I don't really care whether it happened on track, and Lewis said it right after the incident happened, or the first time he actually got to see it. Because truthfully, if you look and see where Max came in contact with Lewis and how that happened, I'm willing to bet you that Lewis, other than knowing that Max hit him and was taken out of the race, did not know exactly how it happened. They were in a curve. The, the way the mirrors are pointed in such a way, and he's not focused on the mirrors as much as he's focused on hitting that apex and staying on the track. I bet he didn't see how Max hit him as much as just that Max hit him. And we see that a lot, you know, in, in incidents that happen in turns, we often hear the radio call of somebody just hit me. Mm -hmm. I don't even necessarily know who hit me, how they hit me or what, but Hey guys, raising my hand, somebody hit me. Um, I, I don't think Lewis knew that until he saw it, you know, go into the pit lane, watch the quick replay and go, <clears throat> My word, what a 
I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure Lewis didn't, and actually from Lewis's comments, I think Lewis did know that there was contact. Yeah. He was happy that it wasn't, there was no damage to his car. But honestly, I think where the reporter went wrong, yes, he was trying to make something out of nothing from that comment. He would have been better off and probably gotten a much better quote out of it if it had been the, you know, after that incident in, in at turn two or whatever it was with or in lap one with max you know this seems to be an ongoing trend with max do you think that he's not respecting drive you know is there a problem with with his driving style something along those lines and he probably would have gotten a much better answer well he would have gotten a much better answer less put into his place and i think that we would have gotten a better view of what the elder statesman of the track view max's style to be like which i think is the important question yeah i think that what i want to see from max is somebody to come along and hone him take the um the risk that he's in the aggression that he's willing to take and put the 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 knowledge around it so it's a little less visceral and a lot more calculated what I think is more likely to happen and what is actually going on at the upper levels of the Red Bull office is that they are trying to determine the crossover point. I don't think that there is any interest, desire, or going to be any effort made to try and temper Max's style. No. It is instead going to be what is that crossover point between Finishing races, scoring points, and ending up in, you know, the top four or the top five and getting into incidents, incidents and getting into tangles and getting dropped out of the race, at which point they will pull a caveat on them. Well, That's what I think is actually what we're looking at here. Well, I don't think he's <clears throat> quite in danger of a caveat only because, and this is, I think, very key. I think they are more worried about a Max in a better car. Uh, you've got both Raikkonen and Botas that are on one-year contracts. Mm -hmm. They start even hinting that Verstappen is going to be up. And I know Verstappen's locked into a longer contract, but you know those aren't as good as the paper they're written on. If they even hinted that they were displeased with Max's style, both Ferrari and Mercedes would be sniffing around Max so fast it'd make your head spin. They are. That's why they wouldn't cut him completely loose. They'd send him back down to Toro Rosso. See, I don't think that would happen. I don't think so. I don't think Josh would stand for it. The, they'll, they'll do one of three things. They either continue to put up with it. That way they don't let him go somewhere else. They punt him down to Toro Rosso and bring up Gasly because they're not going to bring Hartley up. Or they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to call Renault and they're going to punt him over to Renault and bring up Sainz. They're not going to let him go completely. They can't afford to let him go completely. But I, I remember going into Russia two years ago, nobody thought that Daniel Kvyat was in trouble. Nobody oh. thought he was about to lose... A position nobody thought he was going away and then within one race boom he's gone 
I just think it would be more dangerous to do that to Verstappen because it doesn't take much that if he gets punted down to Renault or Toro Rosso, remember, Daddy's got friendships with Toto and he's been around that grid for a long time. It's this is a money. That's why game. they've got it. That's why they've got to do it carefully. But it, at some point, Red Bull may get to that point of he's just too much of a loser. I don't think that Red Bull is the type of organization that they will bring in somebody to try and calm him down. Unlike what Lotus did years ago with Roman Grosjean, where they brought somebody in to talk him down and get his head centered again. I don't think that. I don't think we're, I think Red, Red Bull, Bull turns them that. through too much to do that, and the only hope would be that maybe Ricardo would be a balancing effort to him. But if he doesn't sort his stuff out, there I think you're right. They're looking for the crossover point, but I think they're looking for okay. You you've got to get your head back on straight because they can't afford somebody to sniff around and pick him up. Now. The reaction that Lewis had to the to the incident in the driver's room, Dutch TV played that back for Max. Um, Max's reaction was, "Yeah, I could see that him him reacting that way. Totally justified." I. And again, I go back to that. Just tells me that that reporter is he's sniffing around for something that's really not there. Yeah. I mean, come on, we've all done bonehead maneuvers. Every one of us. We may not drive Formula One cars, but we've all made bonehead mistakes. Well, or- see, I, w- I wouldn't go that far in terms of how Max views the incident. Because Max initially said in the pen that he thought there should be penalty points and that Lewis was to blame for it. Now, he initially said that. Christian Horner came out afterwards and said, you know, this was a racing incident. For me, that is what racing is. Max got the toe. He was always going to have to make a bold move. He got the majority done. Lewis was lucky not to lose his front wing. Ultimately, the stewards made the right decision that it was a racing incident. As long as that is consistent racing throughout the year, Lewis was lucky not to come away with no damage, compromising. He lost the corner, and at that point, you have to give it up at some point. So, yeah, even his team said, it is what it is, man. You you, you don't hold... But you know. he, I mean, he squeezed Lewis off the track. I mean, that's what he did. He did, and but it's it's not unusual that it happens. And Max has since backed down. And in some of the, th- there was a pre-race PR event of some sort that both Lewis and Max attended, and they attended together. Mm-hmm. And they both came out and said, "Hey, there's no ill will coming out of last weekend." Yeah, we, we both said some things, but we're not upset with each other. We don't hate each other, and we're, we're not re, you know running a campaign to go and get somebody else kicked out of the sport. We're good. And you know they shook hands and moved on, and that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, I, I, in the immortal words of William Shakespeare, I believe it is much ado about nothing. So moving on to Ferrari. Let's first start with something that um, was really noticeable in Bahrain, but isn't the first that anybody's actually seen it. And that's the quantity of smoke coming out of the Ferraris. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually it's something that, that has been discussed 
as far back as winter testing that these cars just seem to smoke a lot. Um, although there was a couple of times where there, I heard some reaction of, um, oh, that can't be good. Look at all the smoke coming out of there. It's normal. Um, the FIA says they have no concerns about the situation. It's said to be a function of a rule change introduced this year to stop teams burning oil as fuel, which helps reduce detonation or knock in turbo-hybrid engines. The breather pipe for excess oil has been rerouted and must now exit out of the back of the car, whereas before, many were venting it into the engine air intake. Charlie Whiting said, we see it quite often. We saw it a lot with the Toro Rosso last year whenever they fired up. We think that's just oil getting into the turbo through the seals. It's not doing it on the track. So the FIA is not a concern. Just because you see it start up, the Ferrari belch out a ton of smoke, doesn't mean that they just blew up an engine in the garage. Right. So that's where we are with that. Okay. So moving on to the actual race and some of the other things that happened deeper in the race. The, that race, in terms of a finish, was a nail-biter. It was? It was a nail-biter. I mean, edge of the seat, ha- or yeah, half a second difference between first and second place. It was about as close as we've gotten in a long time. Now, Valtteri Bottas has gotten a ration for how he performed, which really kind of stuns me. Yeah. You want to talk about a guy I kind of feel sorry for? It is Valtteri Bottas. I mean, here he was. Yes, Ferrari turned around and legged it out and got much more out of those tires. And we'll talk about that in a second. But got much more out of those tires than anybody anybody thought. But the guy who was supposed to be the favorite for the championship, the guy who was supposed to be dominating everything, struggled through the race and Valtteri did exactly what he is contracted to do which is pick up the pieces when Lewis can't deliver and here he was picking up the pieces because Lewis can't deliver and we hear Toto Wolf going yeah we thought there was a 90% chance that we were going to win this race and if anybody else was in that car on that last lap at that last turn they would have taken a lunge but Valtteri didn't if you're Valtteri Bottas you're going really? (laughs) I mean, even Mark Webber was taking it to him. I know. On one hand, on one hand, I have to say, Valtteri did exactly what his job is. He preserved the second place. He made sure that he brought the car home and got as many points for the team and picked up the pieces. On the other hand, it was so close. You had to have known that Valtteri's, um, not Valtteri's, Vettel's, um, tires were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Valt- it was obvious they were. Valtteri had, you know, more on his tires. If if that race had been one corner longer, you knew he was going to have it. it. Did he take a shot when he had a shot? That's a call that literally the only person I think knows the answer is Valtteri. I, Did he miss a shot that he should have taken? Did I think... And, and, and again, this this goes back to that difference between Max and, and, and Valtteri. I think Valtteri took this as the calculation of, I can push for this. I can try and, and, and stick my nose in, and knowing that Vettel's tires are off, I probably have an even chance of either making it past him and, and, and getting the points 
or making that lunge and Vettel's tires being off and he's sliding into me and taking both of us out or ruining both of our races, at which point I get that much less points. And at least this way, unless I see that that door is just wide open, I'm guaranteed to get my second place. I'm guaranteed to get the podium and bring in all the points that come with that. And worse risk is he take himself out and Valter mm-hmm. and Vettel not get taken out. Exactly. Um, which is, you know, what he had already seen and he was you knew he was well aware of Max's you know, Max took mm-hmm. a lunge, took himself out, and nothing happened to Lewis. There's all of those pieces that are are playing off in somebody's head. I think Valtteri is going to constantly be plagued with this. You didn't take a shot when everybody thinks that you had a shot because they're all Monday morning quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, And he's also going to get plagued with the, well, Lewis would have taken that shot. Well, okay, but Lewis is in a different spot not just in his career but in his drive than Valtteri is and I find and my and I don't I don't hesitate to say that I absolutely adore Valtteri I do I really like him I find Valtteri to be a very consistent driver and I like him for that fact of he is a little bit more conservative but he's there to get a job done Maybe he's not going to set the world of F1 on fire, but he's a great driver. Yeah. And he's a phenomenal number two for Mercedes. And quite frankly, this year so far in our first three races, he's been phenomenal for Mercedes. Well, other than, well, Australia, Australia was, was not, not that a good great. thing. For yeah. Him. Australia wasn't that great. I see. I, w- I wouldn't say. But the last two much. races, when Lewis has really stumbled, mm-hmm. he has been there. And been right there at it. So I've got to give him some points for that. Well, Mercedes is acknowledging that they own some of this. Uh, James Allison this week came out and said that uh, the team was probably a little too slow to recognize the threat that Sebastian was actually going to take the soft tires all the way to the flag. Had we been slightly quicker to react to it, we would probably have kept more pressure on him on laps 35 to 45, and we might have had a better outcome as a result. We expected him to stop again, but he did very, very well in nursing those tires all the way to the flag. Valtteri did manage to close down on Vettel. With three laps to go, we were hard up against his bumper, but we were not quite good enough to get past him. Probably if the race had been a lap or two longer, it would have been a different outcome, but we left our charge a little bit too late, and we weren't able to get the race win. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and, and I had this later, but we might as well play it now. Um, there were some mind games going on a couple of times there. Um, Mercedes coming out with a dummy pit stop at one point, trying to, to bump Ferrari in. Um, towards the end of the race, Vettel had this to say. Well, I mean, uh, I think 10 laps ago I came on the radio and I said everything's under control. That was a lie because I was hoping that they tell Valtteri that you know, Sebastian is uh, is taking it easy and tell him to save the engine, turn it down and give up, but uh, they didn't do that. Equally, I was sure if I had to say the truth and say that I'm, you know, struggling massively with the tires, they will tell him and then they will make sure that he's, you know, having all the power available until the end. So, yeah, it was really tough. Uh, the tires took another step 10, 12 laps ago. 
down and uh, they weren't getting any better. It was really difficult to keep the car on the line. Yeah, uh, when I saw him in DRS range, I was thinking, you know, uh, it would be difficult to to make it last, but um, I tried to save and, you know, deploy the energy so that I have the boost all the way down the straight and it worked, you know, so uh, uh, really happy that, you know, in the end we, we just managed to stay in front. Uh, obviously, it was our only chance to win the race. Otherwise, I guess we had nothing to lose. We could have always come in, changed tires and, you know, finished third, but that way it's a lot better. But, you know, they made this gamble at the beginning of the year last year where they kept those tires out longer than recommended. They pushed harder and they had last lap. I think it happened to them twice. Last lap, Vettel blew up a tire. Yeah. I mean, that was a massive risk on their part. And they rolled the dice and they won. I mean, that's that's Formula One. Yeah. But... It was a good race. It, it was, was a real good race. race. So that was the highs of the Ferrari weekend. Then there were the lows. What are the lows? Um, well, as we saw, there was that disaster of a pit stop for Kimi Raikkonen. Hmm. Um, Ferrari mechanic Francesco Sigarini suffered a broken leg when he was run over by Kimi Raikkonen. So what we know is that um, the car came in, Francisco placed himself in a position that he was supposed to be to swap out tires. Kimmy got the green light on his indicator that said, go drive, and he took off and ran down Francisco. Um, why he got the green light is the big question, because that tire wasn't even removed from the car yet. Right. Which there had to have been some massive problem because three of the four tires were completely changed. Well, um, and to have the fourth tire not even be off the car, I mean, that's the part that just blows me away. They, they said that, that they reviewed the process and they reviewed the stop together with the FIA. Um, uh, Maurizio Arrive Bene said that they have a procedure to ensure the pit stop during the race are done in the most safe mode. They have three factors. One includes or involves human control, the other involves mechanical, and the other involves an electronic device. What happened was they had a mishandling of the rear left. It was not perfectly read by the electronic device, which gave the green light. They went through the procedure with the FIA, making sure it doesn't happen again, and he says it's in our interest because we care about our people before anything else. But again, it seems rather odd that the system recognized that the new tire was on the car when the old one hadn't even been pulled off yet. Well, so my understanding is that on the wheel nut gun, mm -hmm. there is a button. Yes, and they push the button to indicate that they're done. That is supposed to be what triggers the – if, if I understand – and I'm sure that there's a lot more steps to this than I understand. But wheel nut guy on all four – there's four buttons, goes to – he removes the, the nut, they remove the tire, new tire goes on, he puts the new tire, new nut on, and pushes the button that says he's done and clear. Mm -hmm. And then the green light goes and the car goes. My question is, Is did that button get pushed inadvertently before they got to the tire? Did they? Did it register as being pushed? Because that's the part of the mechanical piece of the 
the pee, the process. Mm-hmm. No one can blame Kimmy for running over his pit crew guy. He and every driver they have interviewed says, "You are taught." You are trained. Yep. You watch the green light. The green light is the only thing that matters. Yeah. If you check your mirrors, you have taken too long in a pit stop. So yeah. he saw the green light. Green light means go. He went. It's not his fault that the mechanic got run over. It is an unfortunate piece that that team, that wheel team, was not done. They had not done their job. Whatever caused them to not complete their job was entirely another problem well the the area that kimmy has truly gotten beat up in some corners for and again not being in the moment and not being there i i hesitate to pile on but i want to mention that that he has been beaten up for this is that when he stopped the car when he got out of the car first folks were like well his you know his first reaction when he when as he climbed out of the car was he threw his steering wheel down in disgust because that ended his race and he knew that there was a botched pit stop the problem was again one he didn't know what was going on behind him um so that unfair again then they hit up over the fact that as he walked back and saw that there was something going on behind him and what appeared to be a mechanic down in the pit lane, that his reaction wasn't to go over it and check on the mechanic, that he went into the garage and did his removal of gear and stuff like that. But what is he going to do? Well, I think- He's not a first aid. He's not a doctor. He's, he doesn't provide, he's not emergency response. Yes, I get you want to check on him, but also in the other thing, it's the pit lane. It's an active pit lane. The race is still going on. You got to let the medical crew do their job and clear out of the pit lane as quickly as possible so that they don't put everybody else at risk. Well, I think that there, there's a, a hundred thoughts that go through your head. I think we all, with compassionate hearts, fully expect expected to see Raikkonen run over to the guy and... Um, you know, apologize on the spot. I'm sorry, I hate yeah. you, man. But, okay, let's just review. The mechanic had his left leg run over by a Formula One car. Mm-hmm. He broke two bones in multiple places and has currently has a cast from growing to big toe. Yeah, pretty close. So I cannot imagine what that actually looked like in reality like don't want to imagine it (laughs) they they did very creative edits to replay what happened without showing what happened um (laughs) because i'm thousands of miles away and it was painful to think about and i can only imagine what it looked like in the moment i mean instantly when it was when it happened i think cothard said he has a broken leg i mean it was like instant so i think they saw something that got shielded from the aired cameras as you know there's more camera angles going on well also it depends on where the commentary box is in relation to the pit a lot of them overlook the pit lane itself so they can see into the pit lane so, so he, he may, may have, have seen firsthand yeah. but he said it when i was like oh he got run over but I, you couldn't tell and he was like he's like look at the leg he's broken his leg 
the other thing is you got to kind of think about it from Reichen's point of view. He first moment he only knew that his his race got ended abruptly. He's still full of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Do not discount that. He's that's got to get discharged. Secondly, he turns around. He notices. He sees now that there's a man down, and there's a huge crowd of people around the man down. It's not. I don't think he's being cold-hearted to say I have no business getting in the middle of that. And he's also got other post-ending his race things that he has to do. He has to go get weighed. He has to go do certain critical things that would cause other downstream problems. Well. If he doesn't get those pieces done. I, I, I don't think that that was as critical there, but he, do, I mean, he's got to come down off the high of driving a race car and having the race ended. And more than any of the other stuff, I, th- I think there there's a grace period to, I mean, we, we've seen it before. I think there's a grace period between when he's got to deal with the FIA required stuff and when he gets out of the car, but he still has to come down off of the high and the adrenaline of, I was in a race, I was doing really well, and now my race has stopped because they just screwed up a pit stop on me. Whatever the cause is, first he's got to come down off of that so that he can deal with the rest of the world. Well, I understand that, but I also think that the FIA requirements are part of the process of coming down. I I think that that is, it's part of the routine of which says, okay, I can deal with this. I also think that it is entirely possible that because of the crowd that was around the guy that was hurt, that Raikkonen looked, he saw the crowd, he saw a man down, and it would have never dawned on him as to what extent that person was hurt. I mean, did he, he, he would have known that he hit something. You, you feel that much in the car. But would he have known that it was a broken leg? Would he know that the guy was conscious? But, but how different is that feel compared to the tire is sitting there, but the wheel nut isn't secured or some of the other stuff? And, yeah. and, and we don't know. And, and, and that's, I think, the, the big point of trying to go and beat up on him because he, he went into the garage instead of running over to the group. I don't think is fair. He's also, he's been beat up because in his comments um, post-race about, you know, asked what happened, that he didn't start off with, you know, I hope the mechanics well or something like that. He dived into his stuff, and, and that's... Really, let it go. <laughs> and, and, you know, Kimmy has not been known for correct order of words ever. So let's just not expect him to start showing that today. But the other thing is, I'm quite sure that he has touched base with the mechanic and made sure that the mechanic is... Oh, he has in the hours afterwards. He, he certainly did and, and posted an update and Ferrari posted an update. And, and I think the mechanic even came out and was like, I don't blame Kimmy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not angry. I've just got a broken leg <laughs> um, and a very large cast. So there's been rumblings coming out of this of, you know, really do we need two, two, two and a half second pit stops is that really good? Is that safe? Is that the best idea? Gunther Steiner, before this weekend, came out and said, let, let, let's slow down a second here. Um, 
let's not do any knee-jerk reactions. Let's let's think about this. Um, he said, and again, coming from Haas, which had their own pretty significant issues in race one, he said, our, I think our pit stop for us didn't make it interesting, but it gives another element of interest. If you make everything 100% safe, why the hell do we watch F1 racing? That's my opinion. We need to have this where the human being can make a mistake. It happened to us, and I'm not happy about it, but in general, we need some risk-taking. If you make everything automated, we can put robots there, and we do it, and there will be no problem. But then, who is going to watch us? I'm not saying that we should put people in danger, but how many years since we had the last injured man? We still know it's a dangerous sport. Things can happen. Playing football, somebody breaks their leg. Again, I feel sorry about the guy, and I think it shouldn't happen, but it happened, and we cannot make it right anyway. Um, in terms of some of the other things that they have done, you know, they, they came out with wheel tethers and stuff like that. He says that, you know, the system works, so why are we going to change it? Yes, we had a loose wheel. Who paid the consequences? The people who put it on, nobody else. I wouldn't rush to a knee-jerk reaction after what happened. It was clearly our fault. We paid the price for it, and on we moved. Nobody was hurt in our instance. It's part of Formula One. If you do something wrong, you get penalized. So this was on Thursday. So Friday, we get to free practice. Uh, free practice two. Yeah, free practice two. And we then have unsafe relief release incident number five of the season. And this was McLaren, right? And this was McLaren. Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, the team allowed his car onto the track with one of its wheels insufficiently tightened. Stoffel noticed the problem on track and, and stopped his car, but as a result, the team got fined 5,000 euros. Well, I think 5,000 euros is pocket change, but I have a proposal for the FIA to handle the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually a reasonable proposal. Okay. Because I understand what Gunther Steiner is saying. There's an element of risk. We all assume it. But what we have here is we have five separate incidents all involving the wheel nut. Yes. It's not unsafe releases because they didn't look down the track and the lollipop man screwed up or, you know, all of the other things that can go wrong. It's centering around this wheel nut thing. And I think that the wheel nut has become the weak link in this desire to get the sub two point two second pit stops. Well, what about this thought? So I want to propose. Let me finish okay, proposing, pro and then you can do have your, your proposal. Thought. And then my proposal is you have minimum pit stop time. No, because my my thought my concern there is that then you end up with a car that's sitting there as they're waiting and waiting and waiting. But what about this? two and a quarter seconds i mean no. it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time but somebody say okay pits on average that go well are this speed will drop half a second off of that and that is the minimum pit stop time no what i would suggest since the issue is around the wheel nut instead of making a wheel that is only centered on one wheel nut make it two you slow down your pit stops you double the attachment points to the car. So in theory, you're, you're doing more to secure the wheel to the car, but you're also slowing down your pit stop at the same time. 
you have a two-wheel nut gun? No. Two gun Same guys? gun, same gun, but there's two nuts that have to be secured for each wheel. I don't know. I don't like that. I like minimum. So you hit stuff. one, then you come over, you hit the other. If, as long as that's happened on all four cars, bang, away you go. Slows everyone down, has an extra attachment point of the wheel to the car, so further reducing that possibility of um, the one wheel not being proper or the one nut being properly attached or it failing or whatever. Possibly also in the event of a collision, making it that much harder for that wheel to be ripped off the car to go bouncing away. Yes, you have the tether in place. But it also it, it forces the team to slow down the pit stop because they have to secure each wheel with two nuts. I, I, that's not my preferred solution. I, what my concern is is that with this whole minimum thing of – Okay, so if I'm a tenth ahead, especially when you're talking pit stops that close, all right, so what are you going to do? You're going to penalize me five seconds because I was a tenth ahead on my pit stop? And how does the team properly manage that? It, it, oh, I have the you, idea You end that. up with a situation where the team has finished the pit stop and they're waiting on the light to respond. Okay, I have the plan. Okay. A software would make the, the green light not be allowed to be turned on until the two seconds have passed, period. Four, you still got your four buttons on your guns. We don't have sufficiently enough sub-two-second pit stops that I think you would have truly everybody sitting there waiting. I, I don't think... You're, you're acting like I'm saying it's got to be a five-second pit stop. I'm saying make it a two-second pit stop so people stop trying to compete to get to the instantaneous pit stop. I mean, that's my issue is I think people are rushing and they're hitting that spot where you just can't physically move any faster. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that solution. I don't like the two-wheel-nut solution, so nah. Fine. Moving on. So... Um, coming out of Bahrain, Red Bull was really, really ticked off at the engine performance of their cars. Now, admittedly, we don't know how well Max would have done because he broke his car. <laughs> but Daniel retired due to a problem with, I believe it was the batteries, that he completely lost power. Um, so Helmut Marcos said that they are pushing Renault for better engines, for more reliable engines, for faster engines. Um Helmut Marco said that um, the problem with Ricardo's engine was that it's not the first time that they've had this problem, that basically they, it was an energy store failure. So it was batteries. It wasn't engines. Mm -hmm. But I guess in terms of usable energy stores that's available to them, um, they've only got two on a season. Okay. So he's already down one. So... Red Bull is pushing it. You know, we they need to sort this out. They've, Renault has got to give them a better engine. So, yeah, the flag is going up of fix this or we're going to Honda, especially if Pierre Gasly can park the car in a fourth. Right. I don't know, especially after this weekend, whether or not what is the truth down at Toro Rosso. The team doesn't know what's the truth down at Toro Rosso. 
So Renault, in response, Cyril Abitbull said um, that in terms of where the engine is and performance-wise, they are hitting the targets that they expected, and as a result of what they saw with the rest of the Renault teams, for China, they allowed the teams to turn up the power and have more power available to them for China. And then there's, I guess, expected to be another big step with an MGUK upgrade when round two of the power units come online. So we're still a couple of weeks from that happening. But for China, the teams get more power. So then we get to qualifying, and Daniel Ricardo has that somewhat entertaining turbo failure. <laughs> yes. We're, we're assuming that ESPN might have actually shared the, the, the footage of the turbo failing because it's an interesting sound. Yeah. Kind of sounded like you had a balloon and you let the air out. <laughs> exactly is what it sounded <laughs> like. Um, well, as a result of all of this, Daniel Ricciardo post-qualifying after they just barely got in and he qualified sixth, um, he says, as he put it in terms of his opinion of Renault, I'd never give up hope, but for sure the window of optimism reduces over time. I try not to really set any expectations on anything now. Just roll with it, and hopefully it all works sweet. If it doesn't, it's always going to be difficult to take. Unfortunately, it's a little bit of familiar territory. We've had our ups and downs for the last few years, so this is not new to me. But I would say that after winter testing, we didn't expect to be here in race three with the issues in Bahrain and this morning already. The winter testing looked a lot more positive from a reliability standpoint. And then we end up with the race this weekend. I know. So are we at a point for our quick little recap? Um, Yeah, we can touch on it briefly. Yeah. So in China, what Michael is alluding to is that starting in sixth, barely qualifying out of Q1 because it, He had only two minutes left to even get a qualifying lap in Q1. Daniel Ricciardo went from sixth to first in the Chinese Grand Prix. Now, admittedly, he did this because, and and let's be clear, because we don't compliment the Red Bull team very often. Strategy-wise, they nailed it. And pulling off not one, but two separate double pit stops flawlessly at just the right time yep absolutely and like you said we never compliment red bull and they deserve it this week they really do yeah it was it was an impressive run for them um max again kind of that's the other compliment i want to throw out there okay i want to throw out a big giant thank you to max verstappen for taking (laughs) vettel down in the race because we reduced a possible the Vettel lead over Hamilton to just nine points. <laughs> so over at McLaren, um, there's been a reorg there. Oh, have there? Yes, Zach Brown got a promotion. I think it's kind of a promotion. I, you know, the way they're organized there and that structure, I can't really tell if it's a promotion. But he got a new title. Okay. So he is now the chief executive officer of McLaren Formula One team. Okay. Um, 
there had been previously two sides to the company, McLaren Automotive and McLaren Technology Group, which comprised of racing, applied technologies, and marketing. They've now reorganized into McLaren Applied Technologies, McLaren Automotive, and McLaren Racing. So he's now CEO of McLaren Racing. Okay. I think he was like um, executive director, Grand Poobah. Grand Poobah, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, of the the technology group. Okay. Um, Jonathan Neal has been given the title of chief operating officer of the McLaren group. Um, yeah, previously, Zach Brown was the executive director. Okay. Um, McLaren also is admitting that the start of their 2018 season was harder than they expected. Really? I, but not nearly as hard as the start of their 2017 season. Um, or their 2016 season. Or, or their, their 2015, 2015 season. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think it was in 2015 where they pretty much said the same thing. I know. Now... This is where McLaren is starting to realize that for all the bragging that they wanted to say about having the better chassis and that if they had the Mercedes engine, they'd be up at the front winning races and winning championships, that you really can't claim that unless you produce. And they're not really producing. I felt very vindicated yesterday, by the way. Okay. Because we watched Channel 4's coverage and one of the group on channel four made the comment and this was the direct quote we believe that the honda engine masked the problems at mclaren that they are now experiencing which is exactly what i kept saying (laughs) that yes the honda engine was a massive problem but because it was so easy to pin all of their struggles on the engine they were not looking to their other chassis problems, their aero problems, their internal problems. I mean, they missed all of the other pieces that make a Formula One car because they put all their eggs in. Well, it's the engine. It's the engine. If we only had the Mercedes engine, we'd be able to perform. Well, that's not exactly true. You have an engine that you should, if you had the chassis, done right you should be able to compete with the red bulls and instead fernando alonso is finishing in the points but at the far end of the points at least he's in the points now at least they're making it through q1 they're now yeah. making it into q2 and occasionally up into q3 but this is not where mclaren should be no it should be yeah you know, i loved the uh start of the chinese grand prix we had front row was all ferrari second row was all mercedes third row was all red bull it wasn't until you got to the fourth row that you had a split team yeah and it should be single teams all the way through of ferrari mercedes red bull and mclaren those should be the first four rows of every race and mclaren's not there and then you should have williams after that well i think williams should be dishing it up there too but um, let, let's look at the, the disaster of that lineup and yeah. Yeah. I mean, that should be your top 10 pretty consistently. And we've got two teams that are completely out of place. Yeah. So over at Force India, another team that we expected better of this season. Yeah. I'm glad they're not in my fantasy team. They've actually figured out what's going on. 
Oh, did they? Yeah. Um, it is unfortunately, um, as they say, a fundamental underlying issue with the car and the design. Um, the issue that they, they are seeing is that um, the way the balances between the rear wing and the front wing keeps fluctuating on them. So they will get good bursts of downforce on the rear wing, then it'll go away. It'll happen on the front, then it'll go away. And they're trying to fig- they, they're they're struggling to figure out why they are having this fluctuation. Um, technical director Andrew Green said it started probably between the Barcelona tests and Melbourne. We were a bit dubious about the data we were re- we were receiving, whether it was real or not. And then we need to perform more tests on the car and some additional logging and instrumentation to see if it was a real phenomenon or not. Everything we have seen so far suggests it is real, so we have been attacking it to try and instigate a change, but as of yet, we have yet to make any real inroads in it. It's a fundamental underlying issue in that the, um, as he says, it's a tunnel issue in terms of the wind tunnel and a full-size issue with the car. It doesn't match the tunnel or the computational fluid dynamics. All the modeling that they're doing isn't matching the results in the wind tunnel. Mm. Um, he said the, the tunnel and CFD match, but unfortunately, they don't match reality. Yeah. That's a problem. We're still very confident the front wing does what we wanted of it, but it was designed to go with a car that generates more rear load, which we don't have at the moment. Once that load appears and you put the wing on, that generates even more rear load, so it's a double whammy. Ugh. So... They think that if they had a clean sheet of paper, they could probably solve this right away, but they don't have a clean sheet of paper. They already have a car. Oh. Yeah, so this may not be a fourth-place season for Force India. Um, Bob Bell says that sometimes you can push it a little too far, and the wind tunnels or CFD don't tell you the truth, and you just go over the edge. When you discover what that is and you fix it, it can take you quite a step forward. We're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. So if you are lucky enough to go to Silverstone for our last story, if you are lucky to go to Silverstone this year, um, they have added three historic F1 parades to the weekend schedule. Um, the first driver that is confirmed to take part in the display will be Sir Jackie Stewart. Um, he will be re- reunited with his 1969 British Grand Prix winning Matra MS-80. Okay. So we'll see who else can take part. Um, the celebration and part of the parades that are happening this year will be the uh, 70th anniversary of Silverstone. Nice. I don't believe it's of the race. I believe it's of the, the venue itself. So in, in celebration of the 70th anniversary. Uh, so we'll be seeing a bunch of other stuff, I'm sure, to, to celebrate the track. Very cool. Too bad we won't be there. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying, but somebody keeps telling me no. It'll be my luck that the year we actually get to go to Silverstone, because one year we're going to do it, but the year we actually go to Silverstone, it's going to be one of those years that it's wet and rainy and nasty and muddy and miserable. And we won't care. Well, we will to a point. We'll be really happy when we check out of wherever we're staying to get real hot, real heat and showers and food. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, we'll call it a show. 
are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.